Welcome to the Green Shoots podcast by Appleyard Lees, a conversation for those who own, manage or protect intellectual property. I'm Paul Roscoe, a senior associate and patent attorney at Appleyard Lees. In a former life, I worked as an engineer. Nowadays, I handle patent applications mainly related to AI and machine learning inventions. And I've got a particular interest in autonomous vehicles. In March 2021, the UK government committed the UK IPO to publish enhanced guidance on the examination of patent applications related to artificial intelligence inventions. In September 2022, these guidelines were published. In this episode, myself and patent attorney Matthew Bennett will discuss the new guidance and what it means for those seeking protection of AI inventions. Thank you, Paul. I'm Matthew Bennett. I've been a patent attorney working in sort of software space for the last six years or so. And yeah, very much focused on the AI side of software inventions. So quite looking forward to talking about this today. Yeah, thanks, Matt. So there are several definitions for what constitutes AI. According to the UK IPO, AI is defined as technologies with the ability to perform tasks that would otherwise require human intelligence, such as visual perception, speech recognition and language translation. And the, the way they, the UK IPO defined this is anything that has input data, a model or an algorithm running on a computer, and then output data, which is a very broad definition. Now, this would cover a lot of general computer implemented methods. That's how a lot of these sorts of inventions would be characterized in a claim as a computer implemented method. Now, Matthew, you've worked quite a lot in this area, especially recently. So I just wondered what you thought of about you know the current law in this field before we obviously go into the guidelines and the specifics to AI. Like, is there anything important to note on how these things are examined? So I think the important thing for everyone to be aware of here, everyone listening in, is that there is no change basically in the UK law as it stands. This guidance hasn't been published because there's been some great new seminal piece of case law put out. The the case law as it stands for computer implemented inventions is basically as it currently exists. And to those who are familiar with that, brilliant. Otherwise, for those that maybe aren't working in this space uh, every day, but we're on the peripherals, we're still operating within the framework of your Aerotel McCrossing case, your AT&T signposts, you know, as adapted by HTC and Apple, you know, we're still very much working within that framework as the UK case law approach to computer inventions. So Paul, can you sort of introduce some of the new concepts that the new IPO guidance has come up with to help us with understanding AI inventions? The, the paper's largely split into two different things. So the case law in this area, as you mentioned, the, the two main cases would be the Eritel McCrossan case and also the AT&T signposts. Now, the, the key thing is the contribution. So what we're talking about here, what this guidance is really focused on is whether the contribution means that the invention is patentable. We're not worried about novelty and inventive step and all the rest of it at this stage. So some of the examples that might be given, they may not be necessarily new, they're more just examples in terms of whether the contribution is considered to be an invention. One of the things that I thought was quite good about this set of guidance is the fact that there's quite a lot of positive examples of what is considered an invention. If you look at a lot of cases, and especially some of the EPO cases, which this is obviously UK law, it's different, but 
we often see examiners or like UK judges reluctant to provide any kind of general rules of thumb about what may be considered to be patentable. They're quite happy to say, oh, something isn't patentable. But when it comes to like a positive example of what is, they're reluctant to do so. And these guidance give several examples. And those, those examples are split into two categories. We've got applied AI and core AI. Now the word applied, that means it's applied to a, an, a, a different application field. So what the UKIP always defined that to mean is an AI technique applied to a field other than AI. So for example, telecommunications or transportation. Core AI is the other category of scenarios. What the UKIP was defined as core AI is something that does not specify an application or use case for its AI features. Instead, a core AI invention defines an advance in the field of AI itself. For example, an improved AI algorithm or model. Matt, I don't know whether you want to run through some of the specific examples in the paper. If we start with applied yeah. AI first. So yeah, within applied AI, you'll, you'll see a theme basically where we're looking at the solving a technical process uh, outside a computer or uh, making the computer run better. So looking at signposts uh, one or four from um, you know, the existing AT&T case law. So the first example we have from the IPO is yeah, number plate recognition using artificial intelligence. And specifically in this case, this particular example has first neural network being used to detect the presence of an object, so a car in a car park, and then a second neural network being used to look at the number plate uh, and work out what it says. Now, as far as the IPO is concerned, and I think it's pretty will be pretty clear to our listeners, is that you know, this is a process going on outside. You know, this is nothing to do with the computer program. It's nothing really to do with the artificial intelligence. It's a way of improving a number plate recognition system. So the technical process outside the computer here being number plate recognition uh, specifically and more generally uh, the field of image processing. The, the interesting thing on that is, it's where, I think for me, is where the contribution lies. So for example, with the ANPR, that's, if the invention's characterized by an improvement in object detection and recognition, for example, the particular algorithm that you're using in order to detect number plates at a further distance or... Yep. or from different angles in different lighting conditions, if you can do it quicker, you know, like with a you only look once algorithm, a YOLO algorithm, then that to me would be a patentable invention. There's also a distinction though, in the sense of using ANPR data that has already been collected for other purposes, for example, administrative tasks. I don't know whether you could, you know, if there was an improvement in how to calculate insurance premiums or, or something relating to using ANPR data for how vehicles are used on the roads, that to me would fall more under like a, a non-technical contribution. Yeah, um, yeah. I think the uh, I think that's a sort of good point to distinguish, really, isn't it? That this particular example is about the collection of that data, really, and how the artificial intelligence is used in a system to collect useful data, and that's absolutely fine from a patentability perspective, as you say, how that data is then used in an onward fashion is a bit more up for debate, I guess, in, in exactly what's going on. So unfortunately, I don't think they've got any examples which sort of link together in that fashion to show us the whole sort of chain, if you will, yeah. <laughs> um, but never mind. So we won't go through all of the examples, but another particularly good one, I think here, just for clarifying sort of 
position uh, with AI inventions is um, example number three in the list that was released by the UKRPO, um, analyzing it and classifying movement from motion sensor data. So in this, this example, uh, analyzing motion of an object is being used to identify an activity and it can that motion data can be helpful in certain environments like coaching for sport and in prior art systems uh, we're told these sort of things operate by comparing real-time data to statistical models to determine the motion that's going on and these models need to be highly accurate otherwise they're a bit worthless mm -hmm. basically so along comes this new example invention which is to use motion vectors derived from acceleration velocity and orientation uh, in x y and z directions as an input to a neural network to classify the motion that is going on the system functions by receiving motion data in real time from a device such as a uh, smartwatch and processes the motion vector using a classification library to classify the motion to a particular type of movement. That's not overly relevant to this discussion. Here, the contribution, however, has been noted as a device that determines a motion vector from data captured by its sensors. So the gyroscope, magnetometer, accelerometer, and uses a neural network and classification library to classify the motion vector as movement from the library. The IPO's opinion on this is that the contribution is not solely a program for computer because its task is to perform a process of clarifying measured sensor data, describing the physical motion of the computing device which is attached to the person it's undergoing. It's the fact that we're using sensor data here, live sensor data from a real environment, from real motion of the smartwatch, for example, that puts this in the category of a process lying outside the computer. So the technical process here that is going on outside the computing device concerns classification of real world sensor data as a determined movement. So as in translating that data from raw numbers into a useful output, basically. And in this case, you know, again, referring back to AT&T, this has been put into the technical effects on a process carried on outside the computer. So another example there of allowable applied AI in this case, if you're using real-world sensor data uh, to figure out something that's going on, then that's a good signpost that we're in patentable territory. Yeah, I think it's a really good example, actually, because people who don't, like if there's any um, practitioners who don't operate in this area, there's sometimes a common misconception that I think, like, so it, a lot of these applied AI examples that they've given to us, there's a, a direct link with the physical world. Now, if people don't operate in this area, they might understand that to mean that it controls a physical entity to move. So that is the link. So it's the yeah. output of the maths algorithm that ultimately provides that link. But it's also quite evident that the link to the physical world could be through sensor data. And even though you're not controlling anything ultimately, it could literally be classifying something. I actually had a patent granted for classifying fault mode in a piece of hardware using sensor data. There, there was no control of the ultimate hardware. It was just classifying the faults and that was patented and um, granted by the, the UK Patents Office. So I think that's, a, that's an important thing to take away from these applied examples is that that's, you know, don't assume that oh, we, might not, we might only have some joy if we go to the European patent with this. You can get a patent granted for that type of technology in, in the UK. Yeah, absolutely. And there are a couple of other examples on similar themes. There is, a, just to sort of summarise them, I guess, there is a gas supply system fault example. 
and uh, cavitation in a pumping system example. The way the examples are framed is not identically the same as um, this analysing the sensor data, but broad strokes, it's very similar. Those examples are about measuring real-world sensor data to determine a fault, very much like the, the real-world case you just described there, Paul. Yeah. So it's really useful examples, those as well. Okay, so it seems quite good that we've got several different examples of analogous cases for acceptable applications. Somewhat contrasting to some of the examples we've had on the applied side is uh, identifying junk email using a trained AI classifier. So obviously we all hate junk mail and we have very useful spam filters in Outlook or Gmail or whatever it is to get rid of it. So in this case, however, uh, an inventor has developed an AI system that learns through user feedback by passing text of incoming emails uh, using a trained AI classifier to classify the email according to content and semantic structure. The classifier is trained on a corpus of previously classified emails and the AI classifiers received emails as either junk, not junk or sure. And then the unsure bits can be manually appraised. And then the email and its classification are then used to appropriately adjust the training of the AI classifier. The contribution here, according to the IPO, would be a method of classifying emails based on the textual content and the somatic structure of the email as junk or not yet junk using the AI classifier. And as far as the contribution is concerned, uh, this one is being put very much in the no more than a computer program as such. So there is a step, obviously, of asking a user for input on the unsure bits. But as for the rest of it, the contribution is no more than analyzing text content of electronic communications and then classifying that text content, basically. It's a quite a nuanced point, really, because it's it's sort of a contrast in, you know, to the previous allowable examples, which use real-world sensor data. But in this case, as far as the IPO is concerned, this is the mere manipulation of computer data, which has no technical effect beyond the running of the program on the computer. And so there is no technical contribution. So it seems similar to the sensor data classification inventions, which are allowable, but there is a fine line here between classification type algorithms, which are not allowable. Uh, and that in this case being, what is the data that is the classifier being run on to some extent? I think I completely agree. I think it's important to note that if it's sensors relating to the physical world, then, and it's classification of that data, that's, that's a positive thing. You're on weaker ground if it's like, you know, if you're trying to use it, um, say that it's different types of um, sensors. But yeah, classification, any any kind of like natural language classification or processing, natural language processing inventions don't really fare very well generally. We don't have any positive examples here of any of those being allowable, which is interesting to note. The same is true yeah. in Europe as well. Yeah, so what about the core AI? We've got fewer examples there, but they have given us some positive ones and then some negative examples as well. I was just wondering if you could just go into one of each of those. Yeah, the first example of a core AI allowable they've given us is processing a neural network on a heterogeneous computing platform. So what are we talking about in this case? Uh, in this example, we're being told that many modern computing devices, such as smartphones, include heterogeneous computing resources, such as CPU host processor, graphics processor, neural network accelerator. 
each of these heterogeneous computing resources has different capability for carrying out processing needed to perform the function of a neural network. This means it may be necessary to subdivide the processing tasks of a layer of a neural network into portions and assign the portions to the heterogeneous computing resources according to their respective capability. And so to optimize the performance of the neural network on the device. In particular, it is desirable that all computing resources finish processing their portions of a neural network layer at the same time, uh, since that allows for efficient running of the computer, basically, and avoids delays, avoids stalls, um, reducing idle time, and so on. And so this invention relates to controlling respective computing resources to finish their respective processing parts at nearly the same time by altering clock frequencies of the components. As far as the IPO is concerned, the contribution here would be a method of operating a neural network using heterogeneous computing resources, where the processing load for a layer of the neural network is shared out amongst the processing resources and a clock frequency of at least one processing resource is adjusted to alter the time at which the portion of processing finishes. What's the IPO comment on this contribution? This is more than a program for a computer. Uh, because it includes a process of operating the computer in a new way, in this case being the control of the clock frequency to run a particular part of the algorithm at a particular speed. By controlling the clock frequency of one processor so that each heterogeneous processor finishes execution of its portion of a neural network layer at the same time. Uh, in particular, the IPO refers to signpost three of AT&T, which is the computer being made to operate in a new way. So uh, from my point of view, this is quite an interesting example because not necessarily much to do with how the AI works really, but more to do with how the computer works. You know, I think that's um, exactly true. I think when I read this and I read through the definition of what was core AI, I mean, I'll read it out again just very quickly. The, the UK IPO defines core AI as an AI invention which advances the field of AI itself. Now, and, and the example that they gave in that um, definition was an improved AI model or algorithm. When I think about that, I think of a different type of network, for example, a residual network. So you can have deeper yeah. layers. Uh, you can have more layers in the deep neural network. And whereas I think I think one of the one of the key things there is the fact that this seems like the positive examples given in the guidance relate to implementations of AI. So how AI is actually implemented on a computer. So how the resources are divided up in order to process the information quicker. So for another example might be a convolutional neural network running on a GPU as opposed to a CPU. That, yeah. if it, obviously, if it, ignoring novelty and inventive step, just in terms of whether it is a patentable invention, that's that would possibly make a, a technical a contribution by having a specific implementation. Whereas a new network per se would probably fall under the under the realms of you know a mathematical method per se. That would be the contribution. Yeah. Um, so it's quite interesting the flexibility that they allowed in, in including this as a positive core AI example. Yeah, it, it does feel with this particular example that they um, almost wanted to bring in AI 
tangential aspects as well into their guidance as much yeah. as commenting on, as you say, uh, pure developments in the architecture of a neural network. Perhaps in that case, maybe we should go for a core AI refused example. Oh, absolutely. I think it'd be good to see one of those. The first example of core AI refused that uh, the IPO gives, number 13 on their um, webpage, is optimizing a neural network. So neural networks can be large and complex with large numbers of parameters involving many calculations. Handling the large number of parameters and calculations requires correspondingly high amounts of memory and processor resources. It is desirable to reduce these requirements whilst retaining the benefit of a trained neural network. The invention in this case achieves this by providing an initial neural network created and trained using a conventional approach as a base model. Then this trained neural network is optimized using a rationalization process to produce a simpler optimized network that produces approximately the same outputs as the initial neural network within a predetermined tolerance level. The rationalization process may involve the removal of selective elements of processing being undertaken, for example, by pruning nodes from the network. Elements may be removed because they are redundant or have little effect on the overall results of the network. So I think that this would very much fall into that category of an improvement in the sort of algorithm itself, if you will. Now, so we already know it's going to be refused, but why is that? Uh, in this case, it's because the contribution is no more than a program for a computer as such. The contribution is an iterative process of producing a simpler, optimized neural network starting from a base neural network. Uh, this mere iterative process for adapting one computer program to produce an optimized computer program is a computer program as such, basically. And as far as the IPO is concerned, there is this particular invention does not solve any technical problem with the computer itself. Uh, any reduction in processing load or memory usage arises only as the result of the execution of the program with fewer instructions. And this is a circumvention of the problems of processor load and memory usage addressed by the invention. And so there is no technical effect. So this is particularly looking at AT&T signpost number five, which is whether the perceived problem is overcome by the claimed invention as opposed to being merely circumvented. And I guess in this particular framework, the IPO is saying that, you know, addressing the problem of processor load, this avoids that problem rather than actually doing anything about it. I think that's quite a fair example. I, you know, if someone had said that example to me before this guidance had come out, I would probably say I'd, that would most likely be a negative mm -hmm. um, outcome, you know, if you if you submitted that in, in practice. I think one, one of the other things that we can talk about from the paper is is the types of claims that the, yeah. the guidance says are allowable. So with machine learning inventions, it's usually good to include a claim to the running of the algorithm or inference. Um, and it's also worth bearing in mind a method of training the algorithm. And both of those are acknowledged to be allowable claim types in this set of guidance. Absolutely. There's also th other things to bear in mind. For example, can you protect the data itself? Now, a claim to a data set is going to be quite difficult to protect. And the guidance confirms that. But there is an interesting point on using indirect infringements. So the method of training an algorithm, if you recite the actual data set used to train the algorithm, that's an essential means for putting the invention into effect in the UK. So as long as your other requirements, like the double territorial requirements, are satisfied, then you may be able to rely on indirect infringement to protect that data set. Because data is 
extremely valuable, possibly yeah. even more so than the actual algorithms that that are used. So yeah. another thing that is interesting is that the guidance says that you can actually have multiple claims, you know, one for training and one for inference of a network, for example. Whereas I actually filed the same case in the UK and in Europe, the same claims were granted. However, I had a disunity objection to that exact situation of having a method of training and a method of inference of the network. That was allowed in Europe with two claims, whereas I had to file a divisional application in the UK. So I ended up with two granted patents. And also at that point that we actually withdrew the two UK patents in favor of one single EP patent to save on renewal fees over the life of the, uh, the lifetime of the patent. So that's something to bear in mind. These things are allowable, but I think anecdotally, at least from my experience, the, the EPO is actually a little bit more generous in that regard. What reason did the IPO give in that case for a disunity objection? What was it? What did, what did they not like in particular? I think they believe that it didn't relate to a same general inventive concept because one was effectively a method of training and the other one was a method of running, like performing a task. This was related to applied AI and the task itself, they believed was not within the same general inventive concept as training an algorithm. Right. But I mean, at the time, you know, it's comparatively cheap to file a GB patent application. Yeah. So, you know, rather than going through a few rounds of, of correspondence with them to argue the point and really get to the bottom of it. You just took the easy route. Exactly. It's just cheaper just to file it when you know it's probably going to be accepted anyway. But I guess the main point to take away from this is that, you know, for the right type of invention, you know, the IPO, you still get, a, you know, a search out of the IPO and you get um, you get a decent first appraisal of it. Um, they don't, contrary to some opinions, they, they won't just discard all AI inventions as <laughs> excluded as subject matter and not bother searching it, which is perhaps a slightly entrenched opinion, which, you know, hopefully this guidance helps to overcome a little bit by making things clearer where everyone will stand. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we're talking about the, the European Patents Office, one thing that you mentioned to me when we were discussing going on this podcast was the fact that a lot of, when you submit a request for combined search and examination now at the UK IPO, we, that, that is actually outsourced to the EPO. So yeah. not, not least, it's better for applicants in the sense of you get a more expensive search and examination done at a cheaper cost because you're only paying the UK IPO fees. You know, you're actually getting these things judged according to European standards. Now, thinking about that generally, so the European Patent Office, the way they would examine these sorts of applications, they wouldn't dwell too much on the contribution initially because that what is an invention question is actually quite easy to overcome merely by including some hardware. For example, a computer-implemented method will get around that. Of course. The question then has to be answered is whether the features themselves are technical. So I think in summary... These guidelines are positive. We've got a lot of good, positive example scenarios of inventions that would be considered allowable in terms of patentability in the UK. And I think one of the main take-home points is the fact that although these, these guidelines aren't, it's not case law as such, it could be highly persuasive to use 
the examples in here for any real life situations. For example, if you're using real world sensor data, if, you're, if you've got an improvement in ANPR or other sort of object detection algorithms, use these examples because it may be persuasive to an examiner. I think what these guidelines do is offer a lot of clarity um, to you know us as practitioners um, that can turn around to the patent office in a particularly in a particular case if there's a stubborn examiner, for example, and um, you know relate our current case to one of these guidelines um, examples as and you know supported by support, suitable arguments on why you know it should be eligible for patentability and all that. Uh, and I think another takeaway for me, again, useful clarity from the IPO because it, I think reinforces that, um, you know, we shouldn't be scared of filing AI inventions in the UK, basically. that There's been a tendency, I think, over the last few years, particularly to advise European filings for AI inventions uh, and to start with the European Patent Office because of their perceived friendliness to AI inventions versus the UK. But, you know, as we sort of just discussed uh, not too long ago, um, actually the, the UK guidance on AI inventions is very similar to the European guidance on AI inventions. So yeah, there's lots of good reasons why we should be filing in the UK basically. So I think that really wraps things up. I mean, I really enjoyed the discussion. Matt? Same here, really good discussion. Thanks for sitting opposite me, Paul. No worries. Thanks for listening to the Green Shoots podcast by Appleyard Leagues. If you have a question or issue you would like our IP specialists to discuss on the podcast, then tweet us at Appleyard Lees or email us at ip at appleyardlees.com. <laughs>